From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, like I said yesterday, it's our week in review. That's coming up on the Decrypt Daily. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning, everybody. Today is Saturday, April 30th, 2022. It is 8.52 a.m. Eastern Daily Savings Time. And, well, I want to get straight into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Bitcoin is sitting at $38,564, down a percent in 24, 3% in 7. Ethereum's at $2,827, down 1.5% in 24, and 4.7 in 7. Tether is number three. Binance Coin is 396. Pretty much even from yesterday. And USDC is number five. Rounding off the top 10, we have Solana, XRP, Luna, Cardano, and Terra USD. Wow. So Dogecoin and Avalanche are all out of the top 10 total market cap. We are at $1.75 trillion, a BTC dominance of 41.7, and an F dominance of 19.4. Moving into our week in review, on Monday we reported that the team behind the popular meme coin, Shiba Inu, has launched a new burning mechanism designed to decrease the token circulating supply while rewarding holders with a yield-generating token. The SHIB burning protocol went live over the weekend, we're talking last weekend, with the team tweeting on Monday that over 8 billion tokens have already been burned in the first 24 hours. So what does burning mean? Burning means you send tokens to an address that nobody can access. Basically, you're just getting them out of supply. So you decrease the supply, the circulating supply, and in theory, uh, raising the price. Because the price of the token is the market cap divided by the circulating supply. So if you decrease the circulating supply, in theory, the price is going to go up. However, the SHIB team has warned that that's not a guarantee. They said this in quote, scarcity can increase price of tokens, benefiting investors, yet that is not always guaranteed. Also happening on Monday, Grayscale renewed a month-long push to persuade the SEC to approve converting the crypto investments firm's $40 billion Bitcoin trust into an ETF. The letter sent to the SEC, seen by the Financial Times, Grayscale's attorney argued that the manner of which the regulatory agency improved the fourth Bitcoin futures ETF, the Tercrium ETF, earlier this month, opened the door for a Bitcoin spot ETF. Grayscale's attorneys argued the point that the first three Bitcoin ETFs were approved by the SEC under the Investment Companies Act of 1940. The Tercrium ETF, however, was approved by the Securities Act of 1933. That's a first. The SEC had previously stated that the 1940 Act offered certain investor protections not covered by the 1933 Act. The implication was that a Bitcoin spot ETF couldn't be filed via the 1940 Act because it offered insufficient investor protection. Grayscale's attorney jumped on the Turkrium approval via the 1933 Act, saying, We believe that the Turkrium order confirms the fundamental point that when it comes to approving exchange-traded funds, there is no basis for treating spot Bitcoin products differently from Bitcoin futures products. So, is this going to hold up? And are we going to have a spot ETF very, very soon? I hope so. 
Moving to Tuesday. On Tuesday, top officials from the Bank of Canada said that Bitcoin, or any other cryptocurrency for that matter, couldn't substitute for the Canadian dollar in the face of the country's rising inflation, according to a global news report. The Bank of Canada said, I think if Canadians are looking for a stable source of payment and a stable source of value, cryptocurrencies don't really meet that test. We don't see cryptocurrencies as a way for Canadians to opt out of inflation or a stable source of value. Canada's inflation rate soared to a 31-year high of 6.7% in March. Also on Tuesday, Fidelity Investments, America's largest provider of 401k savings accounts, they rolled out a digital assets account, a new proprietary offering that gives companies access to Bitcoin, the world's largest leading cryptocurrency. According to the New York Times report, the product is expected to go live this summer, enabling companies, if they so choose to do so, to add Bitcoin to their customers' retirement savings accounts. David Gray, head of workplace retirement offerings and platforms at Fidelity, said, We fully expect that cryptocurrency is going to shape the way that the future generations think about investing for the near term and long term. Moving on to Wednesday's news. In a 95-52 win, the New York State Assembly has voted to pass an act that would place a two-year moratorium on Bitcoin mining. Thrilled that my bill with Senate champion Kevin Parker just passed the assembly as part of the hashtag Earth Day package, tweeted Assemblymember Anna Kellis, one of the bill's architects. Though the bill does not propose an outright ban on cryptocurrency mining, it would halt mining firms from renewing operating permits if those operations are fossil-fueled. According to the bill, this also means that new permits will not be approved either. Jameson Lopp tweeted, New York is doing a great job continuing to ban themselves from prosperity. Moving into Thursday's news, Swedish startup BitRefills, best known for its marketplace for letting users spend their crypto on gift cards and mobile top-ups, they announced its new pay bill service, and it's available to users in the United States. I bet you can't guess what it does. Well, pay bill lets users pay their bills and other payments with cryptocurrency. And you can pay with Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Doge, Dash, and USDT. The service works for most credit card bills, utilities, auto loans, healthcare, mortgages, and social security payments with integrations through T-Mobile, American Express, State Farm, Wells Fargo, United Healthcare, and Liberty Mutual, and others. BitRefill said that its pay bill service will also let users pay property and other taxes and even funeral service payments with crypto. And moving on to Friday, the U.S. Department of Labor has grave concerns over the inclusion of crypto, including Bitcoin, in American retirement accounts. Days after Fidelity, as we just heard, opened its retirement accounts to Bitcoin, the acting assistant secretary of the Employment Benefits Security Administration told the Wall Street Journal, we have grave concerns with what Fidelity has done. The department cautions planned fiduciaries to exercise extreme care before considering adding cryptocurrency options to 401ks. Also Friday, a bipartisan group of lawmakers, including the leading Republican on the House Agriculture Committee, has introduced a new bill to regulate developers, dealers, and exchanges working in digital commodities, including stablecoins and Bitcoin. The Digital Commodities Act of 2022, which would expand the CFTC's regulatory power, is sponsored by Representative Glenn Thompson, ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee, as well as Tom Emmer. Bipartisan support comes from Ro Khanna and Darren Sato. This bill would do a couple things. First, according to a document shared with Decrypt, it will allow the CFTC, which is overseen by the Agricultural Committee, to allow the CFTC to regulate cryptocurrency exchanges such as Coinbase and FTX.us. Also, the bill would give the CFTC jurisdiction over everything that is not a security. Basically saying if it's a security, the SEC will look at it. Everything else is the CFTC. The bill also says that digital currency exchanges would be required to seek the CFTC's approval before they begin trading a new digital commodity. The bill outlines rules for pre-sales of digital commodities so that they aren't dumped on the market, harming customers. As part of the listing process, exchanges must show that the price of the cryptocurrency cannot be manipulated. 
And finally, the bill carves out space for stablecoin issuers such as Circle, who can register with the CFTC as a fixed value digital commodities operator or FVDCO. They will be required to submit regular audits to ensure that they have enough assets on hand to redeem the stablecoin for dollars. And the last of our Friday news, the people of Panama may soon be able to buy their morning brew with Bitcoin. The country's legislature just approved a bill regulating the use of cryptocurrencies in the country. Now, the bill just needs to be signed by the country's president before it comes into force. The law stipulates that cryptocurrencies will now be a valid form of payment. The law outlines Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, Litecoin, and Stellar, among a handful of other coins that could be used. And now a little bit of bonus material. The audio quality isn't that good, but I decided to post it anyway, because you might be interested. It's an interview with Beeple. Enjoy. Beeple, thank you so much for your time. Welcome to the Decrypt Vlog. Hey. Say hello to all the DGens. What up? All right. Um, Human One, Italy, Castello, Di Rivoli. What is Human One and why is it uh, here? Um, Human One is a piece of work that is, has a physical and, um, sort of digital component. Um, and it's something that is a sort of refrigerator sized box with four screens that continually rotates. And on the screen, there's a person, uh, walking through this sort of landscape, um, and they're sort of continually walking. Um, and to me, it's something that is this sort of blend of the, the digital and physical world that I think you're gonna see a lot more of sort of moving forward. Um, amazing. Um, I love the piece and I think it's an amazing crossroad between different genres, uh, different ideas about art and digital art. Um, I think a lot of people when they talk about your work, they, of course, talk about the price a lot, and they talk about the NFT boom cycle and everything that's going on. I really want to get your take on PFPs and sort of where the space has gone since your, since your meteoric rise. Sure. I think PFPs are very interesting, and I think there's a lot of people in the art world that I hear that really do not like them, and they think that it's hurting the space and that it's sort of hurting people's perception of, you know, art. And I think that is somewhat short-sighted because I think we're very much at the beginning of, of use cases for NFTs. And I think you're gonna see people use them for all different things. And, and I think um, anything that sort of gets more people understanding this technology and sort of normalizing it, I think is good. And I think if it's something that doesn't sort of appeal to you, then it's like, whatever, just ignore it. Everything doesn't need to be like Utility. for you or against you. Well, like, I, I, and I think there's this view that if it's like, well, it's not for me, it's fucking against me. And it's like, Jesus Christ, guys. Well, I wanted to ask you about like what I hear in from coming from the art side a lot is that like a lot of people associate PFPs with perhaps like utility rather than fine art. So like I feel like a lot of the art side tends to look at that as a sort of like uh, they kind of look down upon that and utility. But like, do you see your work as like within that kind of vein of like, oh, let's do something for a community? Or do you see your work as sort of like um, 
the pursuit of creativity, as Ryan said in his fantastic introduction of you, uh, Ryan Zur, this afternoon. Do you see your work as that extension of pure creativity without necessarily thinking about utility so much? Um, I think, to be honest, I think it's kind of interesting doing sort of like a mix of both. And I think the things that I have, I will do sort of in the future, there will be some sort of utility to having these things because we're going to have events and we're going to have, you know, this or that that people will be able to sort of do with these things. But I think, uh, I don't really see want the, it being so black and white that, you know, things should or should not have utility. I think you're going to have uh, such a, like, wide range of, of sort of, like, use cases that, to me, it's more about what is your sort of, like, personal preference with these things. I don't think they should or should not have utility, and I don't think it, one is necessarily better or worse than the other. You've experimented with dynamic NFTs with Crossroads. How do you see dynamic NFTs developing as a as a medium? I think that's something that you're going to see a lot more of in the future. I think you're going to see um, these, you know, people look at these more less on the immutable side, and I think they're going to become much more canvases that can sort of be a living, breathing document that changes over time. And I think, um, yeah, I think, the, I think the, the amount of use cases in that is massive, massive amount of different things can be done, you know, mm -hmm. with them changing. And with respect to technological developments in the NFT space, are you exploring anything like encrypted NFTs, fractionalized NFTs? I mean... Uh... Um, not really, just because it's sort of like... Um, to me, sort of like a lot of those things are more just about the sort of like money and speculation, which to me is really not that sort of like interesting. Mm. Um, I'm much more interested in the sort of innovations and possibilities around being able to do things artistically that you could not do before mm. versus, you know, getting all deep into DeFi and staking and shit like that. <laughs> um, with respect to the, <coughs> sorry, the art element here, um, the art historical component of the show, for me the show feels like a zeitgeist because on the one hand you have Carolyn who is a fantastic um, timestamp of recent art history mm -hmm. and on the other hand you have something like Human One which is very much a product of this particular moment in time. Do you feel that this show is perhaps some kind of the closing of one chapter and the beginning of another in terms of perhaps the cultural zeitgeist in this moment and being here in, in this show? Uh, hmm. Or is that a two, two, two? I think there's a lot of things you can take from the show. I think the show is, is something that I think what Carolyn is great about is making connections that are loose enough in some sense, or maybe not loose, um, that have a lot of depth that people can sort of, that you could come to that conclusion, but you could also come to a very different conclusion about sort of like, you know, what this show means and what it's about. And to me, that's what I think is, is her true sort of like brilliance is being able to sort of make something where everybody can find their own sort of like message and, and sort of get something from it. Mm. 
Do you think you're perhaps, um, you know, opening the door, so to speak, for other, let's say, crypto artists, people who have been making work on blockchain, to now move into the museum? Is this something that, like, are you conscious about, like, now looking towards, let's say, the museum world as, as a site of, like, you know, really breaking down that door so that others can come in? Yeah, I definitely think the the museum world is a, a world that thinks on a much longer time scale, and that's something that I think we could badly use in the NFT space because people are hyper focused on now, 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 win, 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 blah, blah, blah. Like it's it's not a space that at the moment is. I believe the majority of people in it are thinking super long term. So I think it's really one of those things where you're going to see more and more different sort of fracturing of the NFT space to the point where it, it is less feels like a singular space and much more feels like a group of communities, much like you don't hear people say, I love web pages or I hate web pages. Um, and I think that's really, you know, shows how early we are that people identify so much with this thing that is just a blank, innocuous piece of code. And they're like, I love this thing. Because to them, that thing is just one thing. It's PFPs or it's art. And I think as time goes on and as people use, use these, this technology for more things, there will be a focus more on the either emotional connection or utility or this or that aspect of it versus, you know, just the sort of like pure rampant speculation and kind of um, sort of focus on the technology itself. It's like, well, the technology itself, who gives a shit? What can the technology allow us to do? You know what I mean? And speaking of that, like longevity, uh, last question for you. Um, so the human one is dynamic. It's updating now. It has the colors of the Ukrainian flag, uh, yep. and uh, the piece itself is will evolve over time. Uh, this question has been asked before, but what will happen when you die? <laughs> so what happens when I die um, is something that. Uh, you know, I think it is a good question. And at first I was just gonna have, make a video so that when I died, it would just change to that one thing. But then I started talking to some people and they were telling me about Andy Warhol had all these sort of like time capsules that he buried. And it was like, open this one in, you know, 1992, open this one and blah, blah, blah. And so they had instructions with them. And I found that to be a super interesting, fascinating idea and something that we could sort of almost borrow for this, in that I could make a series of videos. And to be clear, I've not done this yet, but hopefully I don't die in the next, like, super quickly. Uh, knock on wood. Um, but I'd like to make a series of videos that are, are sort of somewhat time-based in terms of, like, you know, put this on after 50 years, put this out on after 100 years, and keep these videos private so that nobody knows what they are. And then it will continue to change. And they could also be sort of conditionally based, too, that if this happens in the world, if the you know, temperature of the world gets to this degree, play this video. Like, there's a lot of different things that I could do to still make statements um, after I, I die. And I think that to me is the most, I gotta go here. That to me is the most 
exciting thing in that this work feels like more of an ongoing conversation than a statement. A painting is a statement in time. If there's new sort of meaning and sort of like understanding derived from it afterwards, there could be, but the person made the statement and it's not changing. Versus this is a work that is continuing to evolve and our conversation right now will influence that piece. Somebody could say something to me, something could happen, it will influence that piece. And to me, that's really exciting and I think that is something that you're gonna see more and more of with sort of like digital art and I think speaks to its true sort of full potential. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. I'll be back on Monday. And until then, happy hodling, everyone.